Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. We are here with another episode of the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. Today I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Dr. David Lay. Dr. Lay is a world-renowned psychologist, certified sex therapist, and a certified supervisor of sex therapy. He is the author of several books, including Insatiable Wives, The Myth of Sex Addiction, and Ethical Porn for Dicks. All of those topics are very relevant for this podcast. However, today we want to focus on what is called the lifestyle, a topic that is in part the focus of one of those books, and how that may impact sexual function, in particular erectile dysfunction. So Dr. Lay, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, I, I didn't know about your podcast until you reached out. I'm glad you're doing this. It's, it's really good, important stuff. I don't think that there's enough, uh, you know, kind of shame-free dialogue around uh, male sexual function. And um, these kinds of, uh, what what you're doing is a, is a good world-changing thing. So thank you. Well, we definitely appreciate that. Our listeners are going to appreciate, you know, you joining us and sharing your insights. I know that there's been a lot of requests to talk a lot more about human sexuality and uh, the psychology um, behind a lot of these things. I know this is your area of expertise. So, Dr. Lee, to get us started, can you just kind of share with our listeners, what does it mean when people refer to being in the lifestyle? And what are some of the most common arrangements um, that people have for their relationships when they're in the lifestyle? Sure. There's a there's a good book um, by Stephen Gould um, called The Lifestyle. And in general, the lifestyle is describing, um, you know, some form of open relationship. Um, uh, some folks, you know, obviously use the term swinging. The lifestyle can be distinct or, or li- this distinguishes a form of uh, consensual non-monogamy that is more focused on recreational sex as opposed to having a non-monogamous relationship that involves um, external romantic partners. So typically the lifestyle is describing generally heterosexual couples who go to events where they may engage in exhibitionism. Uh, they may, may engage in sex with uh, people you know, other than their main partner. It, it's, a, it's an umbrella term, though, that can include a lot of different forms of non-monogamy. And what, what would you say are some of the most common um, arrangements? I know that, that you know, every you know, non-monogamous arrangement probably has its own unique uh, component Absolutely. layers. But um, yeah. as, as a researcher, a lot of times we try to categorize mm-hmm. um, things. What would, what would be some of the most common non-monogamous lifestyle ways that people arrange their relationships? You know, for one thing um, is that the these relationships kind of evolve and morph over time. So the what their arrangement is right now might not be their arrangement um, in the future. Some of the different kinds of arrangements, folks will, folks might have um, an agreement that they only play with other couples, for instance, um, and they use, you know, a lot of times they use the word play. They, they, they refer to this as kind of a, a form of adult play involving sex. Sometimes they will identify that 
you know, they only uh, they will only engage with another couple. They may engage in what they call soft swapping, which is where there may be kissing or oral sex, but not penis and vagina penetration. Sometimes couples may agree to only involve you know another woman and and have a you know uh, a threesome. Um, with other women. Sometimes couples have an agreement that they will only engage in activity uh, with other people when they're in the same room. Um, some, However, some will um, make agreements for folks to have sex uh, or engage sexually with, with other people without the main partner present. And lastly, you know, this can sometimes, an interesting thing about these uh, uh about non-monogamy in general, but um, and swinging in uh, in particular, um, is that it's very very focused on female sexuality. And uh, now the lifestyle in swinging is very heteronormative. It's very focused on heterosexual behavior by men, but but uh, bisexual by bisexual behavior by women is 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 very prominent and, and almost universal. But uh, some uh, sometimes the lifestyle is can even involve forms of female focus where the the female is having sex with other men, but the husband is not, and the husband is only having sex with, with the wife. That is a form of kind of lifestyle or swinging that is sometimes called hot wifing. And um, in that, um, uh, the, the, the husband is encouraging the wife to, to be recreationally sexual with other men, oftentimes with the husband participating. But the husband isn't necessarily going out there and having sex with other women. Okay, so it sounds like there are a, a multitude of arrangements, and and like you were pointing out, this can also evolve for couples or individuals over time. Uh, so you know, a couple may start with uh, soft swapping, and it may evolve into all sorts of uh, variations of non-monogamy. But one of the key components, as you mentioned, is that. The, it, the intention behind it is for recreational sex, not necessarily for relationship forming or bond forming with partners outside of the of the uh, primary relationship. True. Um, the the bonds do form and the relationships do develop as as friendship. So, some couples will have a, a an agreement where the um, uh, they won't have sex with the same person or the same couple more than three or four times because quote they don't want to catch feelings that is the language they use they don't want to they they don't want the relationship to turn into more of a romantic kind of external relationship in general I refer to all of these you know rules boundaries agreements as um, anxiety management strategies because um, when I when I work with couples around these issues, those kinds of rules and boundaries tell me about the fears that they are trying to manage with those rules and boundaries. That can be really productive in the course of therapy then to, to, to unpack those fears. So I imagine that along the lines of those fears as well as the excitement that can come with various forms of being in the lifestyle, people have a wide range of experiences. In in your work, both as a researcher and in the sex therapy world, what would you say is the general quality of life yield for people who have made a decision to take what, say, once was a monogamous relationship and open it up to one of these forms of lifestyle? So, um, Swingers, actually, uh, in almost all the research uh, done, 
are the most sexually satisfied group um, uh, that we can find. They, uh, and, you know, and it makes sense. They have um, identified that, you know, recreational sex, sexual exploration, sexual novelty is something that is really important to them. And they've negotiated their relationship to include it. That's going to prioritize um, sexual uh, and uh, sexual experiences, etc. The thing I have to be clear about, though, is that you know, this this is not for everybody, and there are people where this uh, this form of relationship or sexual activity works. People who are high in sexual sensation seeking, people who are high in what's called sociosexuality, which is a psychological and research concept that measures basically the ability to value or have sex outside of a relationship. So the higher somebody is in sociosexuality, the less likely they um, are to need to be in a relationship in order to be um, to have casual sex with somebody, right? The lower somebody is on sociosexuality, though, of course, the more important um, a relationship is for that person uh, when it comes to sex. So a person, you know, that does not value casual sex, a person that feels like casual sex is immoral, or slutty or harmful, those folks are not going to do well trying to explore swinging or non-monogamy or lifestyle because of that internal conflict. But for those people that, you know, they, they have high levels of sexual boredom, they really value sexual novelty, they really value sexual excitement, sexual adventures, exploring the lifestyle is a pretty common strategy to, to, to try to satisfy those needs. If I'm Hearing you correctly, as a side-by-side -side comparison, people who do engage in this report higher levels of satisfaction, but they may also be the people who are primed to be successful in this lifestyle. If everybody were to go ahead and engage yes. with it, those numbers probably would decrease as a... <laughs> general satisfaction me measure for the entire population. Uh, very, very well said. Yes, you caught okay. that exactly. So to that end, so I think one of the complexities here is that this is a relationship decision in many instances. And people may be plotted at very different spots in terms of um, what you just deemed as the socio-sexuality mm -hmm. scale. How common is it that one partner is advocating for exploration of a lifestyle while the other partner is hesitant, concerned, worried, or feels uncomfortable and either is you know dragged into it willingly at some point or unwillingly? How common is that arrangement versus two people who really have like together made a intentional conscientious decision that they're both comfortable to take this? Right. First, a, a, a more general number I'll say is that the best research over the past 10 years or so indicates that a rep between 16 and 20 percent of the general American population will be in a consensually non-monogamous relationship at some time in their life. And um, that can come in a lot of different flavors, um, as discussed. It can be an open relationship, a don't ask, don't tell relationship, you know, a polyamorous relationship with romantic partners outside the, the relationship, uh, you know, a, or swinging or all of these different kinds of things. So, again, it's a it's an umbrella, consensually non-monogamous um, term, including all of those. Historically, interest in swinging has been introduced by men to their wives. We're seeing more women who are identifying uh, an interest in, uh, in in you know recreational, casual, non-monogamous sex, um, and going to their going to their husband and and raising it. But typically, this is introduced by the man. Also, typically, this is introduced later on in the marriage, around ten years or so, six to ten years. Again, we're seeing a change. Younger generations are much more 
um, accepting of non-monogamy and willing to talk about it. And so we're seeing a lot more people, you know, identifying interest in non-monogamy of some form or another at the beginning of a relationship, which ideally is right when we should kind of be identifying that rather than getting into a relationship with the expectation is going to be monogamous and then have to deal with that later on negotiating it. But not a lot of people are well prepared to have that conversation at the beginning of a relationship. They may not even know, right, that they're going to be interested in that. You mentioned that something that may that may evolve within the lifestyle, but I imagine that for many of these couples, they do start with a monogamy paradigm. And then over time, like whether it's the novelty that wears off or you know other factors that kind of open them up to this possibility that they may never have thought about previously. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, uh, one thing that does prompt it sometimes is uh, in experiences of infidelity. And the as a couple deals with infidelity, it's not at all uncommon for them to explore whether um, they want to uh, embrace a, a form of non-monogamy. And sometimes that's healthy and sometimes that's not. It really depends upon the couple. But, you know, um, for people that are interested in kind of exploring their um, exploring this, um, I, I encourage them before they talk to their partner to think about whether this is something that would match their relationship. Again, thinking about those people that might that would do well in non-monogamy that are high sensation seekers that are sociosexual that you know are able to make agreements and, and keep boundaries that are extroverted for instance we can go down the list and think about you know this is what my partner would need to, to for us to to swing and have it work is that something that's on the page for them where you know at higher levels of neurosis um, higher levels of anxiety around STIs higher levels of jealousy or emotional jealousy relationship insecurity all of these are things that if they're present in the relationship and you're thinking about wanting to introduce swinging you might want to rethink that is there a questionnaire i mean as as i'm hearing you kind of list off the factors is there a questionnaire that individuals or couples could complete that kind of a set like their risk reward um about entering the lifestyle especially if they are again at different sociosexual points yeah you know, it's a it's a good question. Um, uh, I don't think there is one. And to be honest, uh, you know, I, I think I'm one of the only pro- professionals in the field that's talking about some of these issues. To you know, in terms of uh, the factors that might lead people to be more comfortable or successful in in, in non monogamy, maybe I'll put it together. Um, I, there are some things out there called the yes no maybe um, game. The um, some of these questions for the apps. Yeah, some of these apps, Spicer and stuff like that, where you can uh, identify what kinds of things you'd be interested in sexually with your partner. And they include, you know, oftentimes group sex or non-monogamy forms. But the anxiety profile that you're talking about, especially if a couple's facing yeah. deeper challenges, I mean, I, I can imagine that being a very, you know, helpful mm-hmm. tool before one partner pressures the other, another partner says no. I mean, to really have like a more thorough assessment, so it kind of got me thinking, but the 16th meet. I'll write it down. I'll write it down. It's a good <laughs> please, idea. Please do. I think I think it could be a helpful to, tool um, for many many people. Uh, but that 60 to 20 percent number, I think, is rather staggering. I think a lot of our listeners are going to be surprised to hear that that up to 20 percent by current numbers of the population will find themselves at some point in a consensually non-monogamous. Now, it does not mean they sat down and had a full conversation, but even a don't don't ask don't tell policy would qualify for that. Now, um, in my practice, we've seen a number of uh, clients who are 
in some form of the lifestyle. And uh, what we've come to learn is that there is a pretty um, substantial prevalence of sexual dysfunction and ED within those communities. And I know that that's a big part of what we do here on the podcast and in my practice. So our numbers yeah. are anecdotally going to be skewed, but I am aware that this is a, a talked about subject in the lifestyle community. So can you kind of speak to that? What might be some of the explanations or the causes for erectile dysfunction, certainly from a, a psychosexual perspective? Right. So, you know, again, I'm glad you're hearing that because I'm hearing it too. And it's not something that is getting talked about a lot. And I, again, I think I think needs more attention. First, um, um, age. Swingers tend to be older folks in general. They're, they they are um, oftentimes couples that are in their 40s and 50s. There are younger generations that are getting into recreational kind of casual sex. Um, I'm not hearing about ED as frequently there. So just one is the the age of the population is going to put these guys at risk. Two um, is that it is an intimidating environment. And, you know, because it is, you know, um, uh, you're around other people, the there, there may be some shyness in terms of audience, in terms of concerns about your body. There is an expectation to perform. And it's interesting. Scheduled sex, it tends to increase satisfaction for females, but it increases risk of ED for men because, they, again, that pressure to perform can create some internal um, anxiety and interfere in sexual function. Lastly, uh, there's a lot of judgment in this community if you struggle at all with um, with erection. And they, um, uh, you know, it, I've, I've heard some of these folks really, really kind of callously say, look, um, my wife is here to get f***ed and if you can't get hard, don't even show up because we don't want to waste our time. Um, and so as a result, there's a lot of, I, I wouldn't say necessarily recreational use of Viagra and PE5 inhibitors, um, but just like in porn, it is very common for guys to be using the um, drugs to, to assist them in function. I've heard from some of my lifestyle clients that uh, sometimes tri Trimix, which is the injectable, is, is accessible and available yeah, some of these settings as well. And I, I agree, it's not necessarily a recreational use as much as it is like it is a high pressure environment, um, especially because expectations are running high. Everybody knows exactly why they are there. Um, it's not just a social gathering. It's a lot more as implied. Dr. Lee, can you speak maybe to the anxiety that, you know, in, in particular that a man may experience um, knowing that his partner is sexually engaging with other people? Yes, certainly. I mean, the fears, fears of loss, fears of relationship dissolution, a fear of your partner's, your spouse's other partner being uh, a better lover or having a better body. You know, all of those kinds of anxieties and ruminations and worries are going to start popping through through people's heads in these situations. And if they don't have good uh, anxiety management kind of strategies already, that can spiral into a challenging emotional and physical situation. In your experience, that's not a fair word here, but in your research or your 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 you know, clinical expertise. Are there differences between whether people are engaging in the presence of a partner, people are engaging in private? Does that kind of change the trajectory or the outcomes in terms of feelings of jealousy, feelings of arousal, feelings of anxiety, or does it seem to not make a difference whether, you know, partners are witnessing or kind of viewing what each other are doing? 
It's very case by case. Um, you know, again, couples gravitate, I think, kind of unconsciously towards arrangements or strategies that are going to work better for one or both of them. And, you know, and, and, and sometimes I'll hear, um, you know, couples where one, you know, one wants something that is more public or more performative or more private and the couples kind of negotiate to try to accommodate that or meet in the middle. Now, when we you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, talking about the reverse, I mean, when we see couples where one partner wants to be non-monogamous and the other doesn't, but goes along with it, that is very much a recipe for sexual problems. You know, do you, when you're going along with it, it's, it's it's not a great situation for all, all the parts to be working very well. So along those lines, I want to ask this question to kind of wrap up this episode is some couples seem to enter the lifestyle as like a last ditch effort to salvage an already struggling relationship. They're oftentimes looking for like an excitation lifeline, something to kind of infuse the relationship with with some form of hope or some form that there's something to kind of build off of. Is this generally an advisable way to enter the lifestyle? Most folks will tell you that that's a doomed kind of strategy. I'm a little more cautious than that because I've seen some couples where that last ditch effort did work and they were able to salvage their relationship with this new strategy. But that requires the couple to have really good communication skills, really good negotiation skills, a lot of mutual respect. They have to have good jealousy management strategies, all of these things. Oftentimes, couples that are struggling they don't have the skills to be able to do non-monogamy very well because they've already had so much, uh, you know, uh, water under the bridge, right? They, they, they've already been dealing with other problems so much that the after effects of those problems are going to get in the way of a success in non-monogamy. to summarize, it sounds like the lifestyle is, you know, a growing experience that people are choosing to engage with. The keys to being able to be successful with it to reach those higher levels of satisfaction is knowing oneself, knowing one's partner, making sure that they are communicating about this in the decision-making process as to whether this is going to be helpful for them or not. And then really kind of keeping communication going throughout that process as things evolve. Like even when a couple decides to get involved in this, it still can be very anxiety-provoking at various points. It is not uncommon to experience performance anxiety to experience erection challenges. I imagine that there are a number of men or many men who experience that psychogenic or that relational pressure for the first time in this setting. Yeah, very much so. Um, well said. Okay. So Dr. Lay, once again, thank you very much for being with us and uh, look forward to having you on a future episode. Thanks, Mark. Nice talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.